0: Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 7. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Joe Yeager, Sales Director at Cloudify. Joe is a seasoned sales professional with over 25 years of experience. He has a reputation for being hyper-focused on the customer and conducting himself with the highest degree of professionalism and integrity. So it only makes sense that he has not only exceeded quota at every single sales position he's held, but has a very effective management style that motivates teams and produces amazing results. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amanda. We're excited for you to share some of your sales wisdom with us today. Let's dive into the 12 questions. First off, tell us a little bit more about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and a bit about Cloudify.
1: Sure. So, um, I have an interesting story. So, I actually started off as an engineer. So, I was a double major in computer and electrical science, computer science and electrical engineering. And I started off actually designing chips, microchips that were similar to what Intel creates. Wow, And I soon found out that after that probably first year that uh, sitting behind a desk and not interacting with a lot of people was not going to work for me. So <laughs> I ended up kind of switching over into more of a support role. So I was in a, like a, you know, let's like say a solution architect, pre-sales engineer on the software side. And then I made the transition in the so-called dark side of sales. So <laughs> Helping all these sales guys as a as sales uh, engineer and you, as a sales engineer, you always look at the sales guy and go, well, he's making all the money and I'm doing all the work.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it
1: really turns out that it's not that straightforward. Once I got into sales, it really was um, a difficult, difficult transition. Right. And I always look at myself as, I'm not one of those natural sales guys. I'm someone that works, you know, works at it and and just and has integrity from the standpoint of being an engineer and wanting to solve problems. So mm-hmm. it really did serve me well having that tech technical background and all of the software companies that I've worked in. And that's kind of where I gravitated. And I've also gravitated to startups. So I've spent uh probably 80 plus percent of my career in startups from anywhere from Five people up to forty people, where I was, you know, even the very first sales guy that then built the sales team, mm-hmm. ailed sales from nothing to multi million dollars. So, a lot of experience there. I loved that because you know it felt like a big fish in a small pond.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, in that time, I basically was involved in five acquisitions for total of about $1.5 billion. So that was very exciting to be involved in that all the way from even just a salesperson, all the way up to helping with series A investments and then going through that transition once we've got acquired. So Mm. it's really been kind of a a long career, but a lot of of learning and a lot of connections that I've gained just by being in that world. And in my current company, I've actually, am kind of the director of North American sales for Cloudify. Um, that company is basically, again, another kind of enterprise software company. And our platform is really an end-to-end open source orchestration platform that really makes it easy to automate any kind of service on any cloud. And the, that's kind of where the world is going these days is there's a lot of silos with a lot of different tools And we're in, in an essence, kind of the orchestrator of orchestrators. So we can start to kind of make semblance of that, that chaos and make it a lot easier to manage all of those tools within the enterprise.
0: Wow. Um, That sounds amazing. And yeah, how valuable to have that double major uh, technical background and then to come into sales and uh, what an asset to be able to, to bridge the, you know, kind of communication gap between those two departments, which is a tricky thing to do. Um, So that's amazing.
1: Yeah. It worked out well. Yep.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited what you have to say here. Um, What sources do you rely on to stay up to date on uh, the sales and sales management profession? And that could be networking groups, conferences, podcasts, blogs, books, anything.
1: I'm a, again, back to my background being that I've um, touched so many different people from executives, founders, uh, venture capitalists to advisors. I've really kind of maintained a lot of those connections And nurtured those relationships. And they're really my go-to resource to stay connected and up-to-date because most of those guys touch, you know, an order of magnitude of different companies and different things that they see. So it's really powerful. They don't Mm -hmm. go to one spot. I go to one spot and can leverage into 10, 20 different kind of nuggets of information. So that's really my biggest thing. I don't, you know, again, you're like, we say, we're in sales. We're so kind of bogged down with um, a lot of stuff I don't kind of spend a lot of time probably on podcasts and stuff mm-hmm. like I should. But one of the things I would have to say is I'm a big fan of, I um, don't you know, the Blinkist. And I don't know if anyone's heard of that. But yeah. I encourage people to look at that, because it is an awesome way to kind of just keep your ear to the, you know, the, the ground. And, and when new nonfiction books come up, you can kind of get the, you would say kind of the nuggets, right? I call it the kind of cliff notes Mm -hmm. of of the books out there. So you can kind of listen to those while you're working out or riding in your car or whatever. So those are, those are kind of my biggest areas to kind of stay up to date.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, nothing like having a strong network full of smart people who share their smart person information with you. So (laughs) I think that's pretty valid. Um, And yeah, Blinkist is a great service. Definitely would encourage people to subscribe to that, and I'll link in the show notes as well. Um, What about your all-time favorite business books?
1: Uh, I would say that it's always changing, right? Because as you know, as, as a salesperson that's been in the the industry for so long, how many how many sales books and courses have we read or had to, right. had to go to, right? It's, it's amazing. But I think the the most recent things I've really uh, found um, really uh, good for me was the challenger sale, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, Brennan Adamson and Matthew Dixon, their book has been great. And I even um, attended a, some training sessions, which were put on by Gartner around that. So I, I find that very useful and I would recommend it as a okay. way to, to kind of level up your sales game. And then the other one was um, the sales acceleration formula by Mark Roberge, who was one of the founders of HubSpot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I had the probably the the benefit of actually, I'd almost be saying, I call Mark one of my my mentors. He was an investor in one of the companies I worked for. So I got to spend a little time with Mark, and, and he was a, a very um, insightful kind of a person, and I, could learn, I learned a lot from him. And the Sales Acceleration book was kind of his foundation uh, kind of book that he put out there around some of the techniques and things that I kind of used in some of my later uh, jobs.
0: Yeah, those are fantastic. I mean, HubSpot puts out incredible resources um, on the whole, but that book is fantastic as is the Challenger sale. Those are both on my bookshelf and I will link to both of them uh, in the show notes as well. Any others?
1: Uh, No, that's probably it. I mean, like I said, I I probably don't spend enough time doing that, but those (laughs) those are the things I kind of, when I'll follow those people, right, and get nuggets from them from time to time. But that's, I'd say those are the, those are the ones
0: Yeah. Those are two strong ones. Um, How about, have you found running a sales team and a recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale? Why or why not?
1: Yeah, I would say um, yes. Yes. And then also just being kind of the person I am, I, I didn't sell a lot different because I was always a very much of a customer focused and wanting to make the customer successful. But what I did see, especially when you start having sales teams, is I looked at, you know, that one time sales transaction, like the, that's the old school sales model. Right. Mm-hmm. I think everything you see nowadays is shifted from what it was like 25 years ago to what it is today. Um, and you just can't turn and run. Right. It's like a lot of a lot of sales people were, you know, I got a quota. I got this product that's kind of a one-time, you know, kind of perpetual license type of sale. I'm going to turn and burn, right? And that is one thing we cannot do in the subscription reoccurring revenue model, right? It's, it's really all about making sure we don't churn those customers, right? We want mm-hmm. to make... That they're continually happy because it's really an annuity, right we'll start looking at our our customers an annuity and it's a baseline of revenue that's there quarter after quarter, and it's not something where we have to start at zero when I was mm-hmm. in that type of model, it was horrible because when the quarter was over, you all you know cheered yourself, patted yourself on the back, and then the next day came around it was like you're at zero, you've got to start all over, yeah. <laughs> and so every one of those companies. That I was in was was kind of starting to rob Peter to pay Paul mm-hmm. and they would early they would they would try to pull in revenue at um just at not at good good deals and it would start to degrade the business so I think the reoccurring model was really good because you could build that base and see it growing and then focus on expansion and new clients and and really um if you can do the right thing by having a freemium model and the right kind of content engine, you can build great pipeline of prospects and it's it's a lot different than in the, the old traditional days.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on on those points. Um, It is all about the relationship and making sure that everything is value forward and you kind of have a roadmap of value to point uh, the new customer to so that they do stay on board. Um, No turn and burn happening if you (laughs) want to have a successful recurring revenue organization. That's a great point. Um, What changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys made in light of the economic challenges brought on by COVID-19?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting. And just as a side note, I actually just started this job probably a week before (laughs) (laughs) everything hit the fan. So it was, I kind of like a part of me goes, man, if it was a week later, I probably wouldn't be in this job. Right. Or it would have been delayed or something. So I think what we're seeing is that everyone's become a little more conservative and realistic and backed off their projections um, our sales strategy and tactics have shifted slightly, but they really haven't veered far from our overall plans. We just want to be kind of cognizant of the challenges we're facing and be ready for when things turn on. And And I like to think where we've really started to, to kind of change things is we've you know, kind of like almost re-looked at our ICP and you know, our ideal customer profile, mm-hmm. our um, value proposition, and how do you almost pivot that, right? So depending on you know, now what we see is how would you pivot that stuff, right? How as a team would we sit down and say, you know, for example, we probably ain't gonna go after hospitality, we may shift to more of a healthcare, right? Or mm. certain company size or a certain geography. And then from our customer value proposition, it's probably gonna be a shift from maybe something like a revenue growth to a cost savings, right? So how do we how do we shift our messaging, our campaigning? um, uh, to, to, to really match that. Cause I really do think there are opportunities out there. It's just like, you know, I looked at it and it's kind of funny, but what's the big opportunity right now is people making face masks, right? So yeah. there's any kind of, um, I'd say challenge, there's always some kind of an opportunity. So we just have to shift accordingly, but not too far so that we can get back to where we need to be. And I would say, you know we double down on existing customers and really make sure, you know more so than ever, that they're happy, look for you know expansion opportunities. And then as we kind of tweak that messaging, our campaigning and everything, let's let's just continue to focus on on that prospecting as well, right? It gives us a little more time to kind of tweak it, tune it, test it, uh, and do it fairly quickly. And then, and then just start trying that out and getting some of those, those leads and keep them coming in.
0: Absolutely. I like the doubling down kind of on the TLC of your existing customers. Obviously, this is a bad time to lose them. Uh, and then considering going back to the drawing board on the ICP and taking care of things that honestly, we never have a chance to take care of. So I'm glad that you guys are taking advantage of the opportunity and kind of making the most of it yeah. um, as you can, especially, man, you really got thrown into the deep end <laughs> coming in a month ago. <laughs>
1: exactly it's like where's all your customers it's like well geez they're all kind of hunkered down so it is definitely an interesting time but but and i have i do we have lots of opportunity and we're we're you know we're in the middle of things and some of the customers we have they're not slowing down because they do look at this as a challenging time but it's definitely opened their eyes to especially in in our business at cloudify where we can orchestrate more and automate more and do a lot of day two type of orchestration and self healing. If you look at it, just take someone like you know Zoom or one of the ones I thought was very interesting was a company called Robinhood, which is a financial company that when when everything kind of hit the fan
2: mm-hmm. from a
1: market standpoint, their whole financial platform came to its knees. And mm-hmm. I could just imagine if you're trying to either sell or buy uh, and you can't do it, that is not a good good deal right so those those are opportunities to go see how you could potentially help and I think we just start looking for more of those
0: absolutely so given your breadth of experience here um, with startups and you know success with acquisitions and whatnot I'm excited about your answer to the next question here what's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now given the sudden economic downturn
1: I think the good news is that if you're in a subscription company, it's good news, right? The good news is that you have revenue, right? And you can see the revenue for a year to two years or three years out, right? And now it's like, again, I can't emphasize this enough. It's time to keep current with your clients and stay well connected. Mm -hmm. I always look back to Joe Yeager has three rules of sales that I've followed throughout the years. And the number two rule is no news is bad news. Right. So mm-hmm. we're going to go Oh, no news is good news. Well, in sales, no news is bad news. So you better be in touch and highly attuned to what's going on with your with your um your customers. And I always think that's this is the time where you start to, if you already haven't, build that tighter relationship. And even going back to the whole challenger sales, you're always gonna be teaching and educating and challenging your your clients with with uh, ways to become better and become that, you know, that advocate for them so that you can um, continue to grow and you just, you just become more of them, an extension of their team. Right. And so I think that's the thing that I would um, tell sales teams to do. And then again, you know, it's like, Always use these times to pivot, pivot your messaging and anything you're doing, and then test that with people. Even test it with your friendlies, right? Say,
2: mm-hmm. "Hey,
1: I have an idea on uh, what do you think is is challenging to you?" And I wanted to see what you would think for other people, and they'll be helpful. You'd be amazed. I always, always is a big, big proponent of people that are your customers that you've helped and become successful they're going to help you and they can even open doors for you to, to other clients. And last, Absolutely. But not last but not least, but this, I hate, I mean, it's like I'm a salesperson and I think prospecting is so important and, and I know a lot of people hate it, but it can become kind of a, I think a fun challenge because of understanding personas and ICPs and customer value propositions, but just continue to, to do that because The people that don't do that will not close these deals. And the people that don't continue to touch people will not get those people as clients. So,
0: Absolutely. And I love kind of how you touched on the rule of reciprocity. Um, I think we can all kind of lean into that right now. And helping others um, certainly makes them more inclined to help you. I was actually um, quick rabbit hole here, but, um, (laughs) I was speaking to a local restaurant owner here in Fort Collins, Colorado yesterday, and you know, they are hanging on by a thread and obviously like everyone else only doing takeout and delivery. And, um, she said that the thing that is helping them really hold on and make it is that they have a policy of, you know, they will always say yes to a donation, no matter what. They can't always fulfill the entire dollar amount request, but they always say yes and they always do something. And it's those people um, who they've donated to, who have stepped in and helped just completely save this restaurant. Um, so I like that. And I like what you're saying about, you know, how can you add value to other people and your customers and, you know, they will in turn add value to you in your time of need. So I like that you brought that up and hopefully that makes sense. I'm trying to draw a parallel here. Hopefully that lands. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, you know, it's always,
1: it's always one of those things where, you know, Salespeople, their career is really interesting. I think a lot of people will look at a salesperson, and and some people have a negative connotation, right? But I always look at it as, you know, we're not used car salespeople. We actually help people solve problems, and we challenge them, and we we help them achieve their goals. And the more you do that, that's that's your that's your livelihood, right? That's where you can take that anywhere. So when times get tough and you have to go somewhere else, you have those relationships and. I've sold to probably the same people on in some occasions three and four times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's important.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Um, you, since you've only been at Cloudify uh, for a short time, you can choose to answer this next question as it relates to Cloudify or any organization you've worked with. But um, how is cross-departmental communication handled at Cloudify or other organizations? For instance, how intertwined is sales with product marketing and customer success?
1: And and it's kind of interesting because I have a good kind of a cross-reference between small companies and big companies, right? So I spent a lot of time at big companies, but even more time at small companies. And it was these small companies that this was almost, it, it was like not even a, um, a question. It was almost, you know, we just did that, right? When you're a team of five or 40 people, everything is intertwined. And I always like to say, I like to have, all kinds of fingerprints on the weapon, right? So make sure everyone's involved uh, to, to understand from every aspect. And, and even more so now, when you think about, you know, the, the, you know, the sales accelerator, it's like, it's more important than ever to have product marketing and sales all on the same page because uh, we're all in this together. And we're all going to help each other, you know, get, get to the customer. And, and also the, the focus is the customer, right? It's not, you know, some science project that we think is cool. It's what helps mm-hmm. customers and, and being on the same page is really important. And it's when you get into the bigger companies that you'll see that completely start to, to silo. Right. And, and you'll see a little bit of it, but not like you do in the, the um, smaller companies. And I think any company that, even when they get bigger, as long as they continue to, to uh, keep those doors open and really start to uh, have that cross uh, collaboration, they'll be wildly successful versus the people that become siloed.
0: Oh yeah, without a doubt. And it is so much smaller or so much easier when the company is smaller, but you've got to bake in those systems and that infrastructure and foundation for, you know, that are scalable for those cross departmental communication to happen effectively. And you've got to keep it up as the company gets bigger. Otherwise, you know, frankly, you're screwed as a recurring revenue organization, because then you have um, the inability to communicate. Uh, the product map and um, right expectations between marketing sales and customer success and people churn. So yeah, exactly. yeah. Yep. in what ways are individual members of the sales team at Cloudify held accountable for the retention of their customers? For example, is their pay structured in such a way that they are like accountable in any way for customer retention at renewal time?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, so this is another one since I've, um, I've actually built teams and pay pay structures. It's always interesting to me because when I've learned from some of my other mentors, it's like at the fundamental foundation of, of all of this, it's like, you're really um, rewarding for desired behavior. And it sounds Mm -hmm. kind kind of bad, but it's kind of like at the end of the day, as salespeople, we have a bunch of different levers that we can pull, right? And so I always look at them as kind of four different level, level, uh, levers that we can use. And, and sometimes people just look at it as you got, you got base and you got commission. And then your commission is you tie it to something. And we sometimes will break that down even further where I'll even have it where I can have four variables, which can be your base salary, obviously, your commission, MBOs, and SPFs. Right. And, and you just kind of use those in different degrees to get the, the basic kind of reward to goals alignment so that you can actually achieve your overall objectives as the company. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've seen that probably the most effective, which was, it was interesting was having kind of the base plus commission plus MBOs. And then every once in a while uh, you drive some spiffs to, to kind of maybe, you know, going after new logos or or something like that. But uh, commission is really driven by you know monetary type stuff but the mbo's can be something where maybe that sales team or something is is actually helping with an underlying kind of function or strategy or something that helps helps move the, the company forward as well. So I, I look at all of those pieces as obviously ways to do that. And then you know at the highest levels we do have functions and uh, the different functions in the company have the different kind of uh requirements that they need to meet whether it be you know the sales the solution architects or if you've actually even companies big enough where you started to kind of delineate between kind of pre-sales and post-sales like customer success and ensure mm-hmm. sure that those people are also aligned and even somewhat overlap because I'm a big fan that a sales team the pre-sales team is always going to be selling and expanding within an account but having a customer success which is the right type of person that's making the person and the customer successful, what they have and looking at new opportunities, they got to have some overlap there and make sure that again, it's that cross collaboration, but, but again, they're, they're driven to a different kind of end goal, so to speak.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I like looking at that, um, looking at, commission and or just the four different levels levers that you can pull um, to put together a commission structure. I think that's fantastic. And recurring revenue organizations can use that any number of ways to make sure that everyone's incentives are aligned. So that's well said. How, how are you coaching your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers?
1: I think, you know, it's the, um, I, I, I guess, it's kind of crazy because in the last 10 years I don't spent most of my time in reoccurring revenue. So it's been kind of a natural thing, but again, it's, it's one of these things where when I always think about when you're selling this reoccurring model, it's, it's again, you have to, you have to show people the value of a reoccurring model. Right. And I always try to put myself in the customer's shoe and tell my sales team that put yourself in their shoes and why is it important that this is a reoccurring model? And I always like to think the biggest benefit they get out of this is that they keep us honest right mm-hmm. they basically can be involved with the company they can be involved in the roadmap they can they can they can walk away right that's the one thing they have they have and so now it turns it more into the you know let's say you know advantage customer because the customer basically can make sure that they're getting what they need uh, to stay to stay with that, to that uh, client and their technology. And so from a sales team, you got to make sure again, that you're just so, so far in tune and in, embedded in the the organization to make sure you're always understanding what is going on in that company, because once you're in there, guess what? Someone's going to be trying to get you out of there. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a continuing relationship that you're, uh, you know, trying to get your tech tentacles, so to speak, in further and further by adding more and more value and making it harder and harder to rip and replace the more that you can actually get you know keep that in that direction that 's exactly how you grow your business right and If you incentivize these these salespeople uh, the right way with the expansion business, so I know in a lot of recurring revenue companies they want to go just after new. Um, but in my mind, new is not just a new logo, but it's a new logo and plus also expansion in, in an existing account. So that way you keep them there and engaged because if you don't do that, then they leave and then you're, you're just opening the the castle doors for people to walk in and, and you can't do that. Yeah.
0: I like the tentacles analogy and that's a, that's a really, really good one. And it makes a lot of sense. yeah, fantastic visual. So, are you guys currently in a hiring freeze?
1: Uh, we actually—I was going to say yes and no. I'd say more freeze than less. Um, <laughs> we have definitely slowed down, right? And so, and it's interesting from a—I think from a startup standpoint. So, if you've been, you kind of look at the the VC community. Even the VCs are basically going to all their kind of portfolio companies and saying, "Hey, guys, it's time to start figuring out how to hunker down and how to make." your money lasts that you have. Right. And so um, we have done similar things, but we've also know that we still need to grow. And so we've um, basically still have a lot of openings, but we're selectively kind of, are doing a much better job, better job at prioritizing the ones that we want to do first mm-hmm. and the ones that are going to make the biggest impact. And then we're also being a lot more diligent on what we're, what we're looking for. We're not being as rushed because it's not like super imperative that they get in here tomorrow, but we're going to be a little more picky, uh, but we're definitely going to do that. So ironically, we are still interviewing and and I've been doing interviewing as of last week, um, but we would have probably had 10 openings that we're we're trying to fill that we're now just kind of, kind of shifting a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, as a sales recruiter, that's music to my ears that you guys are still hiring, even if it's, you know, more slow and steady than hurry and fill all the positions. That's really, really encouraging and I hope encouraging to our listeners as well. Um, so how do you guys source talent and what works, what hasn't worked and not just necessarily, necessarily at Cloudify, but other positions you've held as well?
1: Yeah. So I've, um, I use, um, it's again, it's a networking thing. So I've used even uh, kind of, I'd say, uh, boutique type recruiters. And, and what I like about some of the, those kind of recruiters is they truly understand what you're trying to do. They, they, they interview you. They figure out what, what you're doing, what you're looking for, and they make it so much easier because they're not just throwing a bunch of resumes over the wall. They're basically kind of like an extension of your team. They filter it out a lot of the people that would not be a perfect fit and give you a handful that would. And then it's, it's a rinse and repeat. So they are, you know, we'll interview and then we'll give them feedback and say, Hey, this would have been better if it was like this. And then they tune it. And it just, it just works really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we do that quite a bit. Um, obviously there's still people that'll, you know, we still kind of looked at our LinkedIn ourselves, put some ads out in LinkedIn and on our website. But um, the first, I think, in a startup, especially. And it's kind of crazy because a lot of times they say you get all this investment dollars and you don't want to spend some of the big dollars you spend on on recruiting, but we look at it differently. And I've looked at it through my career in startups way differently is that you don't have time to, to actually do a lot of the, the searching, but as executives and leaders in companies, especially startups, you know, you got to look at your time is probably half. You know, like half of your time should be spent finding those people, right? Finding the right people to put in your organization that then helps you scale, right? Yeah. Um, it's very important. And I've heard that multiple times now. And I've even been in board meetings when we're in a small, small companies after we get our millions of dollars of financing. And we could have all kinds of things we've talked about in the board meeting And all the VCs, when they kind of get to the the end, the biggest takeaway I took from it was like, they wanted to know what your hiring plan was and why you weren't hitting it. And what are you going to do to hit it, to get those people in there? Because the dollars were really, really meant for mostly for that, for people, the people to scale. Mm -hmm. So
0: that's, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so critical it's so 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 critical it can cost them many hundreds of thousands of dollars if not seven seven figures if you miss hire with those that small critical you know group of your first you know five to ten employees who are probably going to end up you know being your your Vps and your c level executives as time goes on and responsible for hiring the rest of the teams and so the trickle down effect is enormous um, so you can't you can't screw that up
1: Wow well, and I've seen that happen and that's that is you know especially when people prematurely hire a sales team or maybe they haven't done the work they need to do. And this goes back to a comment where if you have a startup and they're just trying to go from zero to their first customer, if they don't do the right things and they think the first thing they should do is just go hire a sales team, I guarantee you, you will go through two, three, four, five sales teams and churn churn, uh, and, and also lose tons of money. And so those are, those are things you got to definitely make sure you're in front of.
0: Yeah, that can be perilous to a small organization. Um, tell me your favorite ways to assess candidates, both for skills during an interview and cultural fit. That's
1: interesting. Yeah, I always, I love that. It's like an interview question. I always hate to answer, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I also, one of the things that was, if I looked at, and this is another thing that's straight out of um, um Mark Robert's uh, sales acceleration book, but their their book is a lot about hiring and hiring the right people, and then building the training around that, and then and then also just getting to a point where you start to turn a content machine into a, a lot more of an inbound machine, which is another great thing. Is like we got to pivot from from outbound to inbound, but you got to start with outbound. Right. But when I look at salespeople, the the biggest characteristics are things I'm looking for are coachability. Curiosity, uh, prior experience, I think it is, and work ethic and intelligence, right? And so, you could kind of just think about that. But I'm a I'm a interviewer that's a lot of uh, just kind of just having an open dialogue and trying to when I when I have an open dialogue and kind of just become a little bit more of a friendly person as a sales guy always likes to do. You can you can get so much out of that and glean a lot of the culture out of it and also all of these little things right just the way you uh, start to ask about what they've done in their past um, you know what what were their big successes what were their biggest challenges and how did you a- avert that or how did you overcome that you can you can dig into all of those those kind of five big uh, big kind of qualities that you really want to get in a person because i think at the end of the day and especially in in our world it's changing so fast um, all of these things are just really important from a standpoint of being able to coach someone. Um, the curiosity is important because, you know, with a challenger sales, someone's got to be curious about that customer's business, right? I want to hear mm-hmm. that they understand that customer's business or they've done homework on that customer. They've, they've went on the web, they've looked at their 10k, they've, they've done, you know, followed them and they can find out some of their pain points. And then Try to to see how they may have educated or challenged that customer, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, and I think even those things you'll start to to gather how intelligent they are. And and, and I'm not trying to say are they dumb or smart, but just kind of how they think and how they they dig into things and how they they go about it. So those are the big things that I like to do. And I again, when we when we when I started to formalize this in some of the companies I did, I I would. I would work with a cross-functional team, right? We'd always get to the point where even if we're hiring for engineering or product or marketing or sales, we'd have someone from each one of the the kind of uh, departments involved in interviewing, but each one of them would have a different goal that they were trying to accomplish or one of these um, traits that they were trying to uncover. And then we'd all have kind of our reports with, you know, like a one to five rating and descriptions, and then we'd score them. And then we'd have a round table, but we would basically try to hold kind of a more methodical way of doing it uh, so that we can kind of hit that. And again, rinse and repeat after you get people, see how it works out and how you tune those questions and, and evaluations.
0: Yeah, I love that. The consistency that using some form of a scorecard brings is really crucial um, in the hiring process, especially, you know, once the recruiter has turned over their top two or three candidates and you're in late stage interviews. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's hard sometimes to remain objective. And so having that sort of empirical data and having, you know, multiple people in different departments get in on those interviews is really critical. So that's great that you guys do that. And um, I'm sure that that asset is going to be really, really valuable at, at Cloudify as things move move forward and our hiring engines kind of rev rev back up. So that's great. Good advice. Just two more questions. Uh, what's one to three pieces of advice you'd give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy? And is that different than what you would have said pre COVID-19? Uh,
1: um, I think they kind of overlap a bunch, but but my my biggest biggest advice to sales VPs is 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 one that to, to really understand understand and make sure everyone understands the ICP and the the and the customer value proposition and how that is delivered and messaged to different personas.
2: Mm-hmm. And I guess
1: I can stress that enough because I've everywhere I've gone to work. Everywhere, I'd say 100%, no one's really been able to decide, to, to clearly articulate that. And, and I've also been involved with training companies. That that's what they do. But it's kind of interesting that um, if you can truly understand that and everyone's on the same page from the collaboration in the company, then everyone knows where they're going and what they're marching to and what the, the, the different careabouts for these different people in your ICP are. I think that is imperative. If you do that and you get it right, it'll make all the difference in the world. If Mm -hmm. you miss and you don't do it, you will be, again, it's um, the classic salesperson. They always say it just loves to fly by the seat of his pants and and we all do it. You know, we all kind of get lax in our sales and we kind of go back to just kind of shooting from the hip. But if you actually can stick to a plan and you can stick to these, you know, these ICPs and value props and personas and messaging and you will you will do better and you can actually um would say is always start to uh track the results right track these results do it start to do the messaging and start to see even if you do quick stuff through you know kind of like um digital ads you can get it may not be your ultimate way to market but you can get phenomenal fast feedback fast feedback that mm-hmm. you can use to tune And I would also say is working closely, very closely as a sales VP with marketing and sales dev, at least at a minimum, because my big thing that I've seen in 25 years is that um, I'd say 80% of the customers, 90% or almost all of them that you deal with, they've made 80% of their decision before you ever touch them. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we, we have to sell differently and that's where, content comes into play. So I think, you know, we have to do just an, a, an astounding job on creating the right kind of content and then continually, uh, you know, it's back to the challenge of educating and teaching and challenging. And it's interesting. You're not, I always like to say, I'm not selling anymore. I'm teaching, right. And as long as we can create campaigns and blogs and, and drip campaigns that that are teaching and educating that's so much better than trying to do probably the old school of selling, right? How many times do we get emails on a given day? I get so many emails and I can tell you right when I open up a sales email, click. But if I see something that's like, wow, that's an interesting concept and there's a white paper or there's a case study, that's much more exciting to me. A webinar with a, with, with like a big company that's talking about a problem that might be one of my customers or something. But those things bring people to us. And those are the things we got to focus on is building that kind of a content plan and then doing it religiously. Um, I always like say it's rinse, repeat and never stop because they have I mean, the statistics that say it takes on average 10 to 11 touches to get a new client
2: mm-hmm.
1: and everyone really didn't realize, but most companies stop after five or six. And if you looked at that curve, there's probably 60% of the business that's had after that. So if you're not touching them up to 10 times, then you're just leaving all of that business on the table. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think those are my biggest biggest things and biggest advice. And if you listen to that, it's not much different from pre-COVID to post-COVID. The only thing that would differ is that you may pivot pivot your ICP and your CVP just slightly based on what's going on. And you, and you may do that anyways, right? You should be always tweaking and you should always be testing and you should always it's always this never ending ever machine that's, that's tuning. And if you get, if you get traction in something, I always say double down. Once you get a test and you do something and maybe it's, you know, I sent a message that was this kind of content to this type of persona and this vertical, and it all of a sudden exploded dive into that one and explode it and take it and and, and grow with it right
0: absolutely yeah i love that you are so big on testing assessing results and then making data-driven decisions moving forward and never stopping that process you're always going through the scientific method that we all learned in elementary school um, when you're running a company and then trying to kind of figure out what's going to work next and how to drive um, you know your pipeline i also love that i can tell how Consultative of a seller and a leader that you are, with all the the teaching and the educating of the prospect and the challenger sale, um, it's great uh, kind of framework for sales. And man, I really wish that's what salespeople were known for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what I can to course correct that, and of course, only recommend yeah. candidates who are consultative salespeople. But I just cannot stand the the bro sales culture, and I'm going to do yeah. everything I can to tear down that wall. But um, I, I like that we're on the same page there.
1: I love that. Even that some of those data points where they, they actually went and talked to customers about their loyalty to that, that client. And nowadays they're basically saying the biggest one is not, not not the value, not the product or the brand. It's actually the the experience they had when they bought. Mm -hmm. But that experience was directly tied to someone that was, was a, a challenger, a teacher, a problem solver. He wasn't the relationship work builder. He wasn't, you know, the guy that's going to take you to the hockey game. He wasn't the, (laughs) you know, the hard worker that, you know, it was was the guy that was an extension of the team and really helping them. And that's so important.
0: Oh, yeah. And I don't want to gloss over your first point either um, on this question. Uh, you stated this so simply, and yet it's, it's the thing that we struggle with most, or at least I see that with my uh, consulting clients almost across the board. You said everyone must understand the ICP and the value uh, customer value proposition and how that's communicated to the prospect. Um, you know, getting everyone rowing in the same direction is so incredibly difficult. And I hope, you know, this episode will be helpful and what other sales VPs have, uh, advised in previous podcast episodes have been fantastic and kind of how to get everyone rowing in the same direction and finding that true North. But, um, that was so, so simply put and, and well said and hope everyone really takes that to heart and figures out how to do that in their organization. Last question. You ready? I'm ready. I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility as salespeople to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process?
1: That's a good question. And you're right. Sales does make the world go round. <laughs> There's more salespeople <laughs> in the world than anything else. Um, I, I think the way we do that is we don't slow down, right? I think, you know, as salespeople, we always are, are kind of ambitious and, and want to keep going. But You know, don't slow down. Take the plans that you have. Take the plans that you have from before. Learn from what's going on today. Steer uh, to the strategy and tactics the way you need to adjust them accordingly. And make the best of this downturn because there is opportunity. And it's like the adage always says, with challenge comes opportunity. Just Mm go find it and test for it. So if we can do that, that's where we'll help speed things up and be ready for when things turn back to normal. And lastly, I think you know it's just as as companies, we all have a lot of good knowledge within our companies, right? A lot of people know a lot of good things they 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 know how to educate people, we can teach people, we can challenge people, but it that has to be driven into more and more content, right? I I I go into my companies I say Everyone should be writing blogs. Everyone should be writing a white paper. If some person in my company wrote one white paper, I could create 10 blogs out of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If we continue to do that and keep filling up the troughs of content and keep putting it out there, this is the time I always think where people are all at their house, they're at home and they're 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 probably reading a lot about the coronavirus, but they're right about now starting to get really tired of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we can show them and keep teaching them and educating them on different ways to do things and the challenges they're facing and some of the different ways people can address that, I think that's the biggest thing we could do to keep things uh, on track. And as soon as things start to turn, then, then all of that stuff will be the seeds that we've planted, right? We need to, we need to plant a lot of seeds during this time so that, that they start to uh, come to fruition.
0: Yes. I love that. And fantastic quote that uh, you just gave with challenge comes opportunity, go find it. I think that's a great sort of headline for the episode. Um, thank you so much again to Joe Yeager of Cloudify for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on the Sales in the Subscription Economy podcast.